It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the PHG Podcast. This is your girl, Ebene, and as always, I am super excited about this week's episode. Um, Before we begin, you know the routine, let's do a little housekeeping. Please make sure to follow me on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PHG Podcast, and last but not least, at Ebene Beauty. Please make sure to follow me on Twitter at T-H-E-P-H-G underscore. Make sure you show the website some love at www.thephgpodcast.com. And last but not least, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at thephgpodcast.com. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So to my guests, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Well, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me about your COVID-19 journey and just sharing your stories with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So when did you first hear about COVID-19? What were your initial thoughts? Um, when I first heard about it, uh, was actually back in February, mm-hmm. towards the end of February, when it really kind of like I heard about it, but it didn't really have my attention. Um but my my initial thought was, uh, I hope it doesn't come here, but I'm pretty sure it's going to come here. I just hope it's not as bad as what we're seeing on the news. Same. The first time I heard about the COVID-19 virus is somebody was telling me how someone from China was eating a bat. And I was like, why were they eating a bat? And how did they get the virus from the bat? So, yeah. Yeah, that was the first thing I heard, too. And my first thought was the movie Contagion that I had seen, like, some years ago. Mm-hmm. 
And so I just, you know, but the response of the government is what kind of had me at ease because at first they were like, no, it's not that bad. It's right. Folks and all of that kind of stuff. So, I, I mean, at first I saw it, but I didn't really think that it would impact us the way that it is. So what alarmed you to get tested? Like, what were your symptoms? Um, over three weeks ago, um, I started with a light cough and the next day I had a mild temperature. Um, but I didn't think anything of it living in the South in Louisiana, mm-hmm. the pollen count is high. I have allergies. So I chalked it up to, you know, maybe this is just, cause I get allergies. It's allergy season. So, right. And so I was like, well, maybe this is just why, you know, that's why it's allergies. And then like a, a, the next day, then I had body aches and I'm a hairstylist, so I stand on my feet all day, mm-hmm. Monday through Saturday. I actually work on Mondays. This body ache was completely different than the normal body ache from working too much. There was nothing that I could do to relieve it. I couldn't stress it out, stretch it out. I even went and bought lidocaine patches to put on my back and stuff because mm. it was hurting so bad. Intense. But I never. Oh, it was that intense. It really feels like um, it feels like you're just being beat constantly. It's like a constant, like hard throb all over your body. Mm. and um so i'm not a sticky person i'm 36 years old um i don't uh have any underlying health conditions so when my fever didn't break i said okay i need to go and get checked out um just in case right and my doctor treated by that time my temperature had gone up to 100.4 which oh, was like wow. five days later and um and the body aches were just continuing to get worse and so she um did an x-ray swabbed me for the flu that came back negative there was no fluid on my lungs or anything like that. She gave me a breathing treatment because at that point I was, you know, coughing a little more. And um, she sent me home with an inhaler, antibiotics, steroids, and um, cough syrup. So wait, do you so, think that you got exposed at your shop or? I, you know, to be honest, I don't know. Because um, during that time, I had started like just Lysol spraying everything. And um, I would spray the handles, the doors, wipe them down before my clients would come in and after they leave right. because I have a salon studio so it's only me I'm the only stylist in there right well, and that's I good. only have one yeah I only have one maybe two clients at a time I might have a client under the dryer while I'm working with another client but I did I took every precautionary measure that I could to make sure that I was safe and that my clients were safe I even got on like a, a step stool and I would spray the vents just in case you know like all of the other salon studios are on the same vent I sprayed the vents um, once an hour mm. um, just to make sure nothing was coming in from anybody else's salon studio so I don't know um, at my church I'm the sound engineer I work in the booth so I don't come in close contact with any other um, any other person uh, at church like that so but the fact that you can be asymptomatic and give it to somebody there's no telling where you know I got it from um, I came in contact with two people who did test positive for it, but my contact with them was like the first week in March. I didn't uh, develop symptoms until March 12th. So it's possible that I could have gotten it, gotten it from one of them, but I don't know, and I can't say that for sure because anybody could have given it to me. So, so you went in, that's, that's the, when you were seeing, when you was, you went in for, to get tested and your doctor told you that it wasn't for the virus, you tested negative for the flu, so I didn't necessarily know that I was, I wasn't really going to get tested for the virus mm-hmm. because at that time they were saying that this is more common with 
older people and people mm-hmm. who have underlying health conditions. So I just wanted to go and, and find out what was going on because I don't typically have a, a, a temperature. And um, I didn't even know what it felt like to have a fever prior to this. And so when I was describing what I was feeling, my mom was like, baby, you have a, you have a, sound like you have a fever. Cause like I was, I was freezing cold, but I was sweating and my body was hot. I never knew what a fever felt like. Mm. So, um, so she treated me for an upper respiratory infection and she sent me home with the inhaler and told me to take Tylenol and ibuprofen, um, um, uh, alternating it. And so I started doing that to try to break my fever and I was taking the Z-Pack and all of that stuff. And then the next day, I actually had to use my inhaler. Oh, wow. Because I was short of breath. And, you know, at this point, um, in the, the president had said, you know, no groups, no, no large gatherings over 250. So at my church, we had to, um, no, no, at this point, they had dropped it down to 50, I believe. Yeah. And um, so we, you know, everybody's doing their recordings and stuff ahead of time. So I actually went to my church so that I could do the sound while they were doing everything that they were doing to record for the following Sunday. I had on a mask, I had on gloves, but I actually had to use my inhaler just to do something that I normally do all the time. And so I'm still not thinking anything. A few more days go, and when I tell you I was just feeling terrible, I was coughing, my temperature kept going up. So I went back to the doctor. And at that point, my temperature was 103.5. And she was like, oh, boy. So they started doing everything that they did the first time. They checked me. For the at least you went back. Thank God for that. I didn't have a right. choice. I didn't have a choice. because It was like, it was just steadily, like, progressing. And it was progressing really fast. I have a high tolerance for pain. So I probably, if I didn't, I probably would have gone back like that next day. Mm-hmm. Because when I tell you I was hurting, I was hurting. And so she gave me orders to go through one of the drive-through testing um, centers, but they're not open on the weekends. And so I would have had to wait till Monday. And she said, but if your symptoms get worse, um, go to the emergency room. And so when I got home, like they had actually given me ibuprofen and Tylenol at the same time to try to get my um, temperature to drop fast because it was like, it was, it was too high. And so, um, when I got home, something just said, just look on the CDC website. Because at this point, I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's a possibility that I could have this virus. Because for my temperature to be that high, and I hadn't been around anybody that was sick or anything like that. So I went to the CDC website, and they said, do not take ibuprofen. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. You got to be kidding me. And so at that I point, didn't know that. Yeah, that's one of the things that, oh, my gosh, you didn't know no. that? Yes. If you take ibuprofen, ibuprofen, ibuprofen makes it worse, and it actually causes the pneumonia to be worse. Oh, my God. It turns, it's still on the CDC website. They're saying, do not take any kind of ibuprofen, Motrin, Advil, and I was taking those to try to get my, my fever to break. And so um, at that point, I was like, I was really weak. And so I had a friend of mine, I said, can you please set an alarm for every three hours so I can take Tylenol? Because I was just that weak that I couldn't even, like, there was no sense of time. I just laid in the bed. I wasn't eating, I wasn't drinking, and my, you know, my mom and my daughter were trying to get me to eat and drink stuff. My mom was looking after my daughter for me. That next morning, it was the absolute worst. I couldn't stand straight up, um, and I could hardly walk. I decided to try, at least I felt like I was going to feel better if I took a, a, a shower, but I couldn't stand up to take a shower. So I ran the water 
I turned turned the uh, the water on, and my daughter came back. She's like, "The tub's running over. The tub's running over." Because I had fallen back asleep just mm. that fast, and so I went to try to get in. When I tell you, I couldn't even hold myself up in the tub. You know how if you try to push your feet against the front of the tub so that you don't slide in the tub, I couldn't do that. So I had to lay over the side of the tub. And my my ten year old daughter was just like, "Mom, you want me to close the door?" And I was like, "No," because I I just felt so bad that I was scared that like if I fall in the tub I wasn't gonna be able to get myself mm-hmm. out and um I was able to get out but I couldn't really stand up so I literally just got got out of the tub and came back to my room and just laid on the bed my daughter had to help get me clothes get my clothes on and so that whole day I couldn't eat or drink anything I was extremely nauseous I was lethargic I couldn't hold my head up I couldn't even hold my phone up Damn. I was so, and so it just I, I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore so um, I got my aunt to take me to the emergency room. And um, by the time she got me to the emergency room, like I, I started coughing so bad that it was like I was literally going to cough up my inside. And um, and um, she dropped me off at the tent because nobody else right. could go in the emergency room at all. They had a tent set up outside. They actually had to hurry up and wheel a, bring a wheelchair because at that point I lost all strength in my legs. And um, my oxygen level was at It's like your body just shut down. It shut down. And when I tell you, it, it seemed like it happened so fast. And um, so my my uh, my uh, temperature was 103.3. And my oxygen level was at 85. And so they just started working like really, really fast. They got me into a room really, really quick and got me set up on an IV and started pumping fluids and it was really scary because um, it was like watching something off of a movie. Like I saw no other patients. All I saw was doctors and nurses and it's like, they all just moved out of the way when they were wheeling me in. And um, once you go in, whoever brings you in the room, they have to stay in the room with you until they're done doing what they're supposed to do. Like they cannot leave out and come back. And so it was a guy that brought me in and he had to stay in there while I got out of my clothes. And oh, wow. out. And yeah, so he was like, are you okay? He said, because I can't leave. I mean, he turned his back, but it was just awkward, you know. And this was the guy that worked at the hospital, like a nurse. Yeah, okay. he was a nurse. Yeah. Was you got to get naked in, in front of a guy, yeah. you know. But at that point, I didn't care because I was in so much pain. I just, I didn't even care. He could have seen whatever he wanted to see. <laughs> right. And so they sent in the other nurses and they started drawing blood and just doing the, the absolute most. And so the scary part about it was, um, each person that I in- encountered, they asked me for my mom's name and her cell phone number, and they wrote it on their glove. Damn. That right there scared me because that tells me you need to have some uh, next of kin contact information just in case I right. don't make it. Like, that was what that said to me, so it was really scary. But um, they got me in there. They drew a lot of blood. They had to swipe me again. Had to, they had to test me again for the, for the flu. So this is the third time that I've been tested for the flu and it came back negative. And once it came back negative, um, the doctor walked in and he said, we're admitting you. He was like, you definitely have all the symptoms. We are going to test you for it now. So how did they test you for the virus? Did they swab you? Oh, they swabbed me. I'm going to say that's the only yeah. way to test for that. But I've been hearing stories about people saying that they can check for it in your blood and stuff. That's inaccurate because the virus lives uh, in the back of your nose mm. and your throat. So after he, you know, told me everything, um, he asked me what happened and I had to go through all the stuff that I just told you. And um, 
And he said, okay. He said, well, let me have your mom's number. He looked up at the screen, and he, at the monitor, and he said, what's your, what's your mom's number and her name? And he wrote it on his glove. And I was just, like, terrified. Um, and so he said, we're going to admit you, but we're going to get you better. And so um, we're going to do our best to get you better is what he said. And um, so they came in and they swabbed. When I tell you, it's like, oh, my God. Um, for the ladies that are listening, it's like getting a pap smear. Yeah, you know? so they go all the way up in there. They go all the way in. You can actually Google images of, like, what the coronavirus test looks like. The stick looks like it's about, to me, it felt like it was at least. Oh, my God. Long. Now, it has, like, a little brush on the end of it. You know that little brush? Yeah. Like a brush, like, like a baby bottle brush or something like that? But they stick it so far back, and then they have to twist it and leave it in there for, like, 10 seconds. They did that in Damn. both nostrils. But because I was in so much pain, you probably didn't even yeah, feel it, right? It bad. I felt it, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as I think it would have been if I didn't have any pain or anything like that. And so um, they admitted me, and um, the, by the next night I was. How long did it take for you to? Because how, wait, I how long did it take for you to receive your results? Or to? Oh, I, it took five days. I was already feeling. I was feeling better. Before I got my uh, the day that I started feeling better was the day that I got my positive. Oh wow! So I went in that I went in that Saturday evening, and they swabbed me that night. And then that Thursday was the first day of me starting to feel better, and that was when the doctor came in. She said, "Why so long though?" But it got because at the time um, we didn't have any um, we we weren't there were no places that were approved to do the testing. In really, Louisiana, and so, mm-hmm. and so, um, that let me see, that Saturday is when they first tested me. Monday, when they came in, um, and they had turned my oxygen up more, she said, "We're gonna test you again because LSU just got approved to actually do the testing here, and it's a 24-hour turnaround." So she said, "I'm just waiting for the test to arrive." And it'll probably be tomorrow. And she said, I'm going to do another um, x-ray because that's, that following morning of me being admitted, um, she told me I had double oh. pneumonia. Now, I had just gotten an x-ray that Friday, and it showed up clear. The x-ray the Tuesday before it had shown up clear. And then that Saturday night, boom, I had that's double pneumonia. That's crazy how the infection just, like, progressed so fast like that. Once it got in there, it just like it just went crazy, and I really believe the ibuprofen made it worse. But they, the doctors didn't know this at at the time, you know. If it wasn't for me reading the CDC website and saying, you know what, I'm just gonna take Tylenol. If I had continued to take ibuprofen or Advil, I feel like it would have made it even even more worse for me. And so when she told me that Monday, she said we're gonna redo your X-rays. She said we're gonna test you again tomorrow um, because the drug hydroxychloroquine that they've been talking about, this experimental drug, she said, we're going to have to give it to you, but we can't give it to you unless you test positive. So we need you to have a positive test and your original mm. test hasn't come back yet. So we're going to retest you. Well, they never ended up retesting me uh, because, let me see, that Tuesday, um, they hadn't had any testing and the ones that they did get, they were using to retest doctors and nurses so that they could go back to work. I felt like I was gonna die. Like I could not. That breathe. was my next was question for you too. Yes, talking, trying to talk to my family and stuff. Like 
I could be talking and then like within three seconds I was out. Yeah. It was it was it was very, very difficult and it got to a point where I told my sister to just um get everybody on FaceTime so I can see them and talk to them and um, well, I was watching some of your interviews, and you, I heard you said because you've been like very vocal about your story, which is great. And I saw one interview; you was like, it was just a point where you just didn't even talk to anybody no more. I didn't, and, and you know, because you, like you're in constant pain, and they're giving you this medicine, and so the nurses can only come in like once every three to four hours because they're at risk and they're trying to minimize their exposure. And so even even though my test hadn't come back yet, they were treating it treating me as though my doctors actually told me she said um both of them i had two different doctors they said you have it like we don't even really need to come back to know that you have it because you have all the symptoms she said you look like you had it you act like you had like you had it and so but they needed the test to come back in order to give me that drug but it was i was in so much pain and i was so weak and lethargic like when the nurses would come in they have to do everything that they're supposed to do right at that time so I'm on seven different medications. I got medicine going through my IV and I'm having to swallow like 12 pills at one time. And I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink anything. And then most of these medicines have yeah. side effects of nausea. Um, and I, I wasn't able to go to the bathroom because I hadn't been eating or drinking much already. So then they had me on like, um, they had me on laxatives and stuff to try to get me to go to the bathroom and it did not work. Four days I was on laxatives and nothing happened. And so on top of all of that, I had to take Zofran and Finnegan. So explain what those two drugs do. Um, Zofran is a, a nausea medicine that does not make you drowsy, but Finnegan puts you to sleep. And I didn't want to take Finnegan because when I would go to sleep, my uh, it would feel like something was hitting me in the chest and I would wake up gasping, even though I was on oxygen, I would still wake up gasping for air. So I was afraid of falling asleep. Yeah, I'd be afraid of falling asleep too. Yeah, so you have the three different things going on. You have that where it's almost like a like an anxiety attack type thing, and then you have the coughing, and then there's the the whole um, just not even being able to inhale and expand your lungs completely. So it was it was definitely very very scary, and it just got to a point where I, I honestly, when they would give me that medicine and stuff, I just I didn't even want to take it. I couldn't even drink water. It was just it was terrible. And so it got to a point where I didn't want to talk to anybody because right. I felt like that was it. You know, I felt like I was slipping away. Like I could hardly even keep my eyes open. And um, it's just tough to be in a position like that when you're used to like, like always working and going, being never active. being sick. Yes, very active and never being sick. And then, I mean, the only time I've ever been in the hospital was when I gave birth to my daughter and I had a C-section, mm. you know? And so like the other than that, I've never been in a hospital before. So this experience was like just oh my god for my first time having to be in the hospital it's like golly I have to experience like almost dying the first time I go to the hospital yeah. you know so um it's really really scary because um for a lot of people it gets worse before it gets better and that was something that you know one of the nurses actually talked about with me she was like everybody that goes on this path whether you're going through it in the hospital or if you're going through it at home you get to a very very dark place with this thing it gets really really bad and it's almost like you come to a fork in the road. Some people make it and some people don't. And her exact words to me was she said, you made it past the hump. And so that's my encouragement to, you know, people who are fighting this thing right now. Like it gets bad. It gets really, really bad, but it does get better. 
and you have to fight it mentally. Your body is doing as much as it can to fight it physically, but you really mentally have to fight it. Those two days that were the worst for me, they came in both days threatening to put me in ICU. They were like, we're going to have to put you in ICU. The first thing they did was put me on bed rest and they were like, we're going to have to get you a bedside commode because we don't want you walking to the bathroom because your oxygen drops so bad and it's just completely wiping you out. I would literally pass out. It would take me 15 minutes to walk to the bathroom and get back to my bed. And I would just be completely wiped out because once I got to the bathroom, the coughing and I just couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. And so, but in my mind, I don't want to be confined to this bed because I feel like if I get stuck in this bed, I'm not going to get out of it. Right. And so I was like, no, I can keep walking. And the doctor said, she said, no, you can't exercise this. This is not something that you can like make better by, by moving right now. Your oxygen levels are too low. We need you to stay in this bed. And she, and so she actually, she put her foot down. She said, you're either going to get a bedside commode or a bedpan. I said, I'll take the bedside for, for 200, please. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I don't want no bedpan, you know. But in my mind, like, I want to still be mobile, you know, even though my body couldn't do it in my mind. That's what, that's where I, where my, where my head was. And um, I, so when they were talking about ICU, I was like, no, I got to fight this thing. I really have to fight it because if I go to ICU and then they end up putting me on a ventilator, I was terrified of not being, definitely not coming out. And so, so thankfully, Go ahead. No, go ahead. Thankfully, I didn't have to go to ICU. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to give me more oxygen. I was only on two liters of oxygen. Um, and because the first day they said, well, if you if you end up needing six liters, we'll have to put you in ICU. And then they came back and said, no, if you if you get to four liters, we're going to have to put you in ICU. And I never had to get more than two liters. I literally fought this thing mentally and it has. My family and friends like encouraging me and like praying and stuff. I had a whole army of people praying and I had no idea. And that's really what brought me through because that Thursday morning, I just, it was like somebody switched the light on and I felt better. So where are you at now? Are you at home? I am at home. I am still in quarantine. Um, what day I, are you on? I am on day, what's today? I know Thursday. you lost count. I know I, yeah, I lost count. Today <laughs> is day 29. Today is day 29. So, um, well, it's, well, today is day 29 from the first day of symptoms, but today is day 12 of my 14 day quarantine. I have two more days left. And then after those two days are over with, what's next? So after those two days are over with, they, the CDC assumes that you are safe. Um, my daughter has asthma and my, and I live, my, my mom is here. She's 61 years old. I'm not taking that risk. So um, because you can be asymptomatic and give this to somebody. And even though you feel better, they treat the symptoms. They treated the symptoms of pneumonia and they treated the symptoms of COVID. There's no cure and there's no vaccine for COVID. So the virus can actually still be in your body. You can still be harboring the virus, even though you feel better, which means you're just like the asymptomatic people, meaning you can still give this to somebody else. And that's the scary part about it is because... Damn. There are people who got it and they're at home and able to, to fight it off. I had to go to the hospital. There are some people who are getting it and they're dying. So when the, the whole shelter in place thing is not just about protecting yourself. It's about protecting other people because you don't know how their body is going to respond to it. So is it safe to say that you are now immune to it? So there's the only way to actually know if you're immune to it or not is to be retested again. 
um, they they assume it's unfortunate, but because of the limit of testing, a lot of doctors aren't wanting to retest. And so they're just saying quarantine for 14 days. And then after that, you're OK, but just still practice uh, social distancing. Well, because my daughter has asthma and my mom is 61 years old, I'm not taking that risk. So I actually contacted my doctor yesterday and um, and and asked to be retested and her superior said no so she went above her superior and you know found a way for me to be able to be tested because that's the unfortunate part about this is there are people who have tested positive and then after their 14-day quarantine they got retested and they were still positive even though they had no symptoms mm. So it's it's just like, like, you know, I was saying before, it's just like being asymptomatic, not knowing that you have it because you don't have any symptoms, but you're just spreading it around to everybody. That's why it's still spreading. Not necessarily because of people who have symptoms, but the ones who don't have symptoms and who aren't staying home. Earlier, I know that you mentioned that you had a 10-year-old daughter. So I can only imagine how difficult that was for you not to physically be there with her. It's, the, it's difficult. I have not... um I haven't been able to hug or hold my daughter in 29 days, mm. actually 30 days, because the day before I started having symptoms, um, I actually hugged her on my way out of my salon and took a picture. I and saw it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, when I went back through my phone, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot I took this picture. And that was the last time that I was able to hug her, because once I started having those symptoms, I just played it safe anyway. Even though I thought it was just allergies, I just wanted to be safe because I couldn't imagine giving this to my kid and then something happening to her. So it's been 30 days. And so she she loves to draw. She draws me pictures and slides Aww. them under the door. We FaceTime with each other. And uh, a couple times she's um, knocked on my window outside and we talk through the window. So it's very, very difficult. And I am counting down the days. Um until I can hug her again, you know. Um, she's right down the hall, and I can't even I can't even touch her. Right. <laughs> so it's it's kind of hard. Do you think that this virus is going to slow down anytime soon? With with there being so many uncertainties, um, I honestly don't really think so. Me either. Especially because people aren't staying home. Like they, the, I really feel like the only way to just absolutely flatten the curve is to do what the other um the other places did and just do a complete lockdown that's the only way to really just stop it and and even still it'll it'll still spread some because of how contagious it is and how easily it spreads which is why like when people were trying to compare it to the flu they were like you can't compare it to the flu number one because there's a vaccine for the there's a there's a cure for the flu and then number two it's not it's easier to contain the flu than it is to contain this one like I was explaining to my mom, I said, if you walk on the bread aisle in the store and you cough and you keep walking, somebody can come five, 10 minutes later down that same aisle and inhale that air while they're walking and that the, the, that virus is in the air. They can breathe it in that way mm-hmm. because it lasts for three hours in the air. So you don't even have to be close to the person when they cough. If they cough and their their mouth is not covered and they just cough into the air and you come and you walk down that same aisle and you breathe that in, you can get it that way. Right. 
and then it, it lives even longer on surfaces. So if somebody coughs or sneezes or whatever, licks their hand or whatever, and touches something like in an elevator, and then oh, you child. touch it and you rub your face, like you can get it. So I don't see it um, flattening unless unless they make a like make a make it mandatory for everybody to stay home except for like doctors and nurses or whatever. I know a lot of people are stating that they are doing like at home remedies to help them combat this virus, whether it's like steaming their faces, um, eating elderberries and so on. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think that's helpful? I don't know. Um, I mean, I know you're not a I doctor, did. but. Right. I just, I, I, I can't say that that stuff works. And the reason I say that is because when I first got sick, I was doing the hot teas and the, and the soups and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't do the blow dryer to the face thing, <laughs> but I did have a friend who, um, who got sick a week after I did and um, the, the week that I first got discharged and she did steam. She had like a steamer that she steams her clothes with and she did it and she felt a little bit better the next day, but it wasn't like a major difference. Like some of the stories that I've seen, I don't, um, I don't doubt that they're telling the truth, but that's just, that wasn't my story. And to be honest in the hospital, they were giving me ice water the whole time. So I'm like, if I'm supposed to be drinking hot liquids, why are y'all, why do y'all keep bringing me ice water? Right. So, you know, um, so and it, and it could be possible because I the night that I did ask for chicken broth, um, and the nurse helped me to 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 um drink some of the chicken broth. The next day was the day that I actually felt better. So I don't I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I wish that it would work and cure, but if that was the case, then the doctors need to do that. And then this thing could we won't be waiting on a vaccine for it, you know. But I just I, I don't I don't really think that it works as well as everybody is saying. See, can you just stress the importance of why we should continue to practice social distancing? Because I still don't think people understand the importance of it. I think people don't understand the importance of it because they're looking at it from a standpoint of I'm okay, I don't get sick. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it, like if you look at it from a standpoint of, okay, I can hurt this other person then I think it will be easier for people to understand, like look at it as treated as if you're already infected mm -hmm. and you don't want to infect somebody else. That's like if, if a person lives, let's say there's somebody that lives home with their, uh, their grandparents and they're all fine. And then they decide, you know what, I'm going to go hang out with my friend, with my homeboy or whatever. Homeboy could have been hung out with all of his homeboys and gotten it from one of them, but he's not showing signs or symptoms of it. Give it to you. You might feel a little sick. You come home, hug your grandma and your grandpa, give it to them, and then they and I see you on a ventilator or possibly lose their life and they never left the house. Yeah, that's fucked up. It is. And so it's just like we the only the only thing I can say, because people are still down here having crawfish boils and stuff. And then Easter is coming up. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be barbecues and crawfish boils going yeah, on. Yeah, I went outside gym. to get some fresh air just stay on my porch for like a hot thirty seconds. I see people barbecuing. I'm saying, what's wrong with y'all? It I, unfortunately, we can talk to we blue in the face. For some people, they they won't understand until it hits home. And it's hitting home like, quicker, real quick for people. I when I tell you the first thing that really scared me was when I saw that family in New Jersey that decided they were gonna have a family dinner or whatever they had, and seven of them got sick and four of them died. Ooh. And it happened in New it happened in New Orleans also. Oh, a mother and her three sons died. Damn. So it's, 
it, it, it I, unfortunately for some people it's just gonna have to hit close to home for them to realize but i mean i just really hope that people would just like take it seriously and really think like you could be the the reason that somebody else dies yeah like me i was in perfect health and this thing almost took my life where i could have lived to be 60 70 years old but because i've got this virus now my life is cut short at 36 at 36 um um just moving forward with your lifestyle is there anything that you would change because I know that a lot of people who weren't big on germaphobe is probably going to be like the biggest germaphobe now. So like, what are some things that you would probably change within your routine now? Before we begin this week's episode, please make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can only do this if you're listening to this on an iPhone. So please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five-star reviews only. Hold me down. Don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list. So please visit the link in the show notes below. If you would like to support the PSG podcast, please sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash the PSG podcast. Thank y'all so much for holding the kid down. And I really do hope that y'all enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. Later. When I tell you, I was already like a month. <laughs> so there's not there's not much that I need to change as far as that that's concerned. Especially with me being in the beauty industry, you have to be very you know you have to be very clean yeah. and stuff. I'm dealing with people's head and their scalp and their skin and, and stuff. You know, like people that. be so, nasty, child. Very nasty. So um, the the one thing that I would say moving forward that I will change is taking time more time to spend with my daughter. That's one thing that I have missed the absolute most is forced me it, I mean this has forced us all to slow down mm. and just like have a hard reset and so um moving forward just my looking at my priorities a little different instead of working so hard all the time just trying to enjoy life and enjoy enjoy time with my daughter yeah that's a fact could you leave the listeners out there who may they either have the COVID-19 virus or they have a loved one that have the COVID-19 virus and just leave like some positivity or some inspiration for them as we all try to get through these challenging times. Because I know that you are a woman of God. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I've been telling everybody I, like this 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 virus is something that we cannot see and it's like a, it's it's an enemy to us. It's like we're at war with an unseen enemy. And it's my belief that you got to fight it. You can't see it, you got to fight it with something that you can't see. So prayer, faith, encouragement, like keeping your mental health that mental support system there to help get you through that is going to be very very vital um and making it through and and even with the family members who are watching um their loved one go through this just know like it does get better just don't give up you know and um it, it's it's definitely a roller coaster ride they may have good days and they may have bad days but just try to stay positive and help keep them encouraged because it's very it's very important for the person that's going through it to be able to have that mental support to fight it because your body is, is going to fight as much as it can, yeah. but mentally you got to be strong enough to take this thing head on and, um, and just continue to pray, you know, and just believe. And then even to those who, you know, who have lost a loved one or, you know, a friend or a family member to this virus, um, like still don't give up hope, still don't give up hope. My heart goes out to so many people have lost loved ones yeah. to this and it's devastating. And so, you know, I would just say to them just to to get just keep the support around them as well because this thing is like it can really it can really do something to you mentally. I, I struggled with that. So 
just continuing to pray for your family members and just like, you know, fighting through this, man, to those who are going through it at home, man, I give mad props to the people who are fighting this at home with no doctors, no other medicine. No insurance. (laughs) Right. And then it's it's a very scary, it was scary for me in the hospital. So I can only imagine what it's like to the people who are at home and might have kids that they have to care for. And they're trying to fight this thing, man, y'all don't give up. Like, don't, you can't quit. You can't give up. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But once you get past that, that, that dark moment, once you get to that fork in the road, you can make it. Just don't give up. Right. Don't give up. One more question, just to lighten the mood. So since you're feeling better, I hear it in your spirits. What you been up to since you've been in your room by yourself? Are you watching TV? Are, what have I been Are up you to? reading? Are you working on something new? Are you just relaxing? Like, what are you doing? I've been, <laughs> I've been relaxing. So I'm used to working 60, 70 hours. You do hair in the South, um, so I know you be busy. <laughs> No, absolutely. And so I've really been um I've been I've been um Netflixing and chilling by myself. Okay, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> but but Netflix has been watching me more because to be honest, once you actually get better from this, you realize how hard your body had to fight. I still like I take probably about five or six naps mm-hmm. a day. So still just trying to build my strength back up. So I've just been resting and watching Netflix and then looking for pictures under my door from my daughter catching up with friends and just reconnecting with people that I haven't talked to yeah. in a while. So that's the that's the positive thing about, you know, being stuck. And I don't even want to say being stuck inside. Just being safe still. Oh, yeah, being, being safe inside. That's a better way to put it. Yes. But to my guests, thank you so much for being a part of the PhD podcast. Um, I've been watching your story all day. She's all the way out in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So thank you so much for sharing your story. She has been raising awareness about COVID-19 and just being a survivor. So thank you so much um, to my listeners. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at the phgpodcast.com. Um, until next time, listeners, and please be safe and stay at home, please. Later. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.